I always felt like I'm like, part of me is American and part of me is Indian. And so it always felt like two things pu pushing up against each other that didn't really get along. Yeah, like like tectonic plates or something. Exactly, exactly. And, and in the last couple of years, I'm like, oh, you're not half and half. You're, you, you actually are both of those things at the same time and you're, whole, you're wholly in your American kind of culture because you grew up here and wholly in Indian culture and, and whatever that means. And it's sort of given me sort of freedom that I don't have to choose between, you know, different yeah. cultures. I, I can kind of blend it. Eita, Brasil. Tá comigo? Humans. Hi. Hello, humans. Uh, hey, welcome back to another episode of La Mezcla, the show where we explore all of the intricacies, intersections, and painful, painful awkwardness of being a mixed race or first generation human in this country. Uh, my name is Adrian Burke, or Adrian Burke, uh, for my South Americans who are listening. Um, I'm the creator and host of the show. Please, uh, if you like the show, uh, please subscribe on whatever platform you're on and leave a review on iTunes. Please, please, please. Apparently that makes a big difference. So do that if you like the show uh, and follow us on all the shits and whatnot. I'm going to move past this because I'm really excited about this week's guest. Uh, so let's get straight to it our guest this week and i was so happy to have her on the show uh, our guest is the wonderful wonderful dipti brahmantkar uh dipti is a super cool and like genuine ass person i had such a good time talking to her uh, but let me give her a rundown of her credits real quick before we get into it uh dipti is a she's a mumbai born indian american playwright and performer uh her first play which was called the accident uh, won best drama at the frigid festival in new york shout outs to the new york theater community uh it's super cool she won best drama that's dope uh, she also, uh, her solo show, an autobiographical solo show, which is called American Rookie, was performed at the Gotham Storytelling Festival and then got a full production uh, at Luna Stage in January of 2020. Uh, it was sold out and extended. She's totally killing it. Uh, she also, I want to plug this really quick before we get uh, into the interview. Um, she's currently releasing uh, original stories inspired by life in quarantine on SoundCloud um, and the, called Quarren Theater. And this is actually, it was featured on WNYC which is super dope. I feel like a, a real ass like NPR <laughs> announcer telling you like, this is featured on WNYC, but I digress. Uh, I was so excited to talk to Dipti. We had a really, really great conversation uh, and I'm so excited for you to hear it. So let me stop talking and let's get into the interview. Come with me. Vem comigo nessa viagem, nessa Te prometo. É tudo que você vai querer. De boa. I try, I'm trying, that's my aspiration. Is to, to be like a, a Shakira, Cher, type, Seal type figure with only one name. Oh, Seal, Sade. Sade is another good one. Um, there, yeah, Sia, you know, maybe. I think that would be trailblazing given that you're a playwright. I can't think of any one name playwrights. Are there any one name playwrights? That's actually really, it's interesting. And playwright names are also sometimes elusive unless you're in the canon. Like there's uh -huh. something that you know, um, Chekhov. Chekhov, sure. Right, Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> but is Shakespeare? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It's not like Bill, though. You know. Right. Yeah. It's not like William. I don't know. Right. No, Shakespeare definitely counts. I'm being stupid. 
<laughs> you're like Shakespeare. I don't know. Um, uh, but uh, okay, cool. We're recording. We're doing a show now. So uh, let's uh, the way. And you told me before this that you have never listened to it, which I think is magical. So the way I introduce, don't no, don't apologize ever. Uh, the way I introduce, uh, the way I always start the show. Um, I have a very small but very devoted fan base whom I refer to as my mom's friends because uh, at this point a large percentage of the people who listen to the show are people that my mom has told about it. Uh, so please uh, introduce yourself to my mom's friends. Uh, tell us what you do, where you're from, like your basic deal, and then we'll we'll dive in. Amazing. Hi, mom's friends. That's, I think the only thing that matters is mom's friends are listening. I, I understand. Maybe my mom's friends will listen as well. Yeah. The idea um, is always to expand the circle. Of my name's yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're the they're the supporters for life. But um, my name is Dipti Brahmankar, and I'm a writer. And I lives at, I live in Hell's Kitchen. I'm originally from India, uh, from Bombay, but we moved to upstate New York uh, in the Finger Lakes when I was uh, three. Mm. So that's where I grew up. Um, and uh, now I live and work in the epicenter pandemic center of uh, the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, how times get weird don't they exactly yeah and that's that's me beautiful so you moved here when you were three I moved here when I was three do so. you have any do you have any memory of living in India or has it always been a I visit India situation I, you know I do have memories of India there from that time because it's a very they're, they're, they're more like images I guess than memories little snippets of like being with my grandparents and uh, the neighborhood that we lived in. And, and we would go back twice a year. So it. it was, it was definitely kind of a very present, the country in my life. Um, yeah. My we were life. the same. We were the same when I was a kid, we'd go to Peru at least, we would go at least once a year and then our abuela would come live with us at least for two weeks, like at least once a year when I was a kid. What part of Peru? I was, I went to Peru last year, actually. Ooh. Well, most of my, my, my grandmother lives in Lima and my mom, so my mom is one of six kids and almost all of them live in Lima. One of them lives up north. So it's mostly like city people. Wow. It's just, it's, I mean, it was such an amazing country. And I felt like Peruvian people and Indian people have like some synergies. Oh, really? How so? Like, you know, like, family life and celebration and like food centered and just connected to the earth i guess like yeah yeah deep, sort of deep connection you really absolutely um, one of the i think the first thing you said the family connection and family structure i feel like that's one of the thing especially from doing this show i've learned i feel like that's one of the things that's missing from growing up here is extended family culture is having extended family around a lot and like really being in each other's lives i don't think that's a as much of a thing with American kids. No, it's not, it, it's not. And it's, there's a lot of like, I don't know if you think this, but in American culture, a lot of designation of this is my brother, this is my cousin, you know, this mm. is my aunt who's biologically related versus not. Whereas at least right. in culture, it's like you're close and therefore you're family. And yeah. your cousins kind of are like your siblings in a way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really funny. I feel like I feel like immigrants are so much more predisposed to to like to have family in quotation marks, as in like my friend who lives close to me who is our family now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and when you realize that 
somebody you've been calling uncle isn't actually related to you, which, which happens yes. a lot, which is like, yes. oh, you're not biologically related, but you are my uncle. I get it. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Cool. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. That's so funny. It's so true. So talk to me about, so where you, where by the Finger Lakes did you grow up? Um, it's about an hour south on the border of Pennsylvania in this tiny town called Vestal. Okay. And so uh, like small, small, small town, New York. Not tiny, but small enough that, you know, you ran, you run into people all the time that you know. And um, right. one movie theater when I was growing sure. up, uh, very non-diverse. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I can imagine, I grew up in, in Westchester, in Yonkers. And like even that, the part of the Yonkers that I live in is very homogenous. So I can't imagine a town like this in comparison. No, and it was just a, like when we moved there, there was a, a handful um, of Indian families that had moved there. And it now it's changed a lot and it's it diverse, you know, become more diverse, but still, I think it was there was a 97% Caucasian population when I was a shot. Sheesh. Sheesh. <laughs> so we were, I was brown in that yeah. town. So, yeah. Um, how did how did be, did people look at you sideways, or were pe were people like trying to be on their best behavior about it? Like, what was the vibe? It, you know, it's so interesting. I it's it sort of created like in in so when you paint the picture of this town, you think it's a it's a town where I would experience like bullying or kind of sort of racism overtly, and it, it really wasn't that way because I think it it's sort of this pocket of of New York State that's like fairly liberal. Um, and I went, we went, I went to a, a preschool and kindergarten that was like run by hippies. Okay. And the walls were like painted like the yellow submarine. And we had, you know, we, we cherished the trees uh -huh, and like that uh -huh. kind of like hippie dippy. You gotta love the, you gotta love the upstate hippies, man. Where yeah. my, when I was a kid, my mom had a friend who, I don't know if she still lives there, but she at the time lived in New Paltz which is like another kind of like old hippie stronghold of upstate New York. Yeah. Uh, and I remember like going, seeing the like the paintings in her house that were very clearly like I did a lot of LSD when I was younger. Yeah. yeah, that's that's sort of the town. I mean, like, for example, the piano teacher, she had like a teepee in her backyard. And mm -hmm. like, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of respect. I think when I got older, I recognized some of the sort of, cultural appropriation and weird things that were happening, but I wasn't really awake to that then and I didn't experience it that overtly. So it was, mm. it was a good place to grow up from that respect. It was, it was pretty protected environment. Um, yeah. Considering. Yeah. Yeah. And were your parents, and were your parents sort of, uh, from having these conversations, the, like the dichotomy that's opened up to me is like immigrant families, they tend to fall on either side. It's not a dichotomy, I guess it's a spectrum, but it's like more on the, uh, more on the assimilator side of the spectrum or more on the, uh, like, let's keep our culture like hyper present in the household type. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, you know, I feel like they're definitely on the assimilator side, but then again, at home, we, you know, they spoke in our native language, which is Marathi. Uh, we ate Indian food. There was there were Indian things in the house, and we had such a present connection to the country. Like my grandparents would come and stay with us mm. for like months at a time from both sides. And yeah. um, but then like out in the world, like they wouldn't wear Indian clothes. Um, my dad's Got like it. in the hotel business. My mom's a professor, and they were like really integrated into the communities that they were in. Um, Got it. What uh, what does your mom teach? She teaches finance. 
wow. in college. So uh, the apple fell very, very far from the tree. At, kind of as far as you could possibly go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My, 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 it was interesting because my parents cultivated an interest in the arts at home, but they themselves have like more kind of corporate business profession. That's amazing. That's very rare. I feel that's very rare for parents in general, but for immigrant parents specifically, I feel like that's very rare. Yeah, they were, you know, they obviously, you know, wanted uh, me and my younger brother to have like sort of a secure life. And they had all those immigrant sort of tropes, but they didn't there was no like sort of shame culture in our house. It was really mm. like, you know, your passion, and as long as you're working hard and you better get good grades. Mm. That's like full stop. Like you can't yeah. mess around. Was that, how did you feel so, about it? That were you, so, yeah, were you? It was a little bit weird. I, and I don't see, I don't know. I'm sorry. I just had a, a sound glitch, I think. Uh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say that they, like you said, like you're interesting. Was it, are they assimilators or the, they, they swung like mm. their pendulum. So yeah. by Indian standards, they weren't very conservative parents, but by American standards, they might've been. Yeah, that's um, so funny. Yeah, so they, I never felt constrained by them um, at all. So that was, mm. that was really nice, I think. That's um, great, I love that. How about, how about like social circles? Like, so if we're talking, if we're talking like middle school-ish, getting into high school-ish years, um, what was your social life like? I'm assuming you were like the one brown girl. What was that like with the crowds that you ran with or the kids at school? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I had, I had this group, um, this group of girls with whom I'm, you know, many of them are still my, you know, friends and they, for, for the most of my life, not, none of my friends were Indian. Um, I had, I had one friend who's Muslim, uh, growing up. But she was, you know, she and I weren't extremely close. She was just sort of in this, in this circle. So until I got to college, I actually didn't have any friends who were Indian. Um, mm. And I kind of ran away from like Indian kids, like they were on fire. It was kind of weird. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, it's not that weird. I promise you, I understand where you're coming from. And granted, I present very white. I didn't have the experience of being like a brown kid in a very white community, but I did similarly i think up until maybe late college kind of run away from my latinidad and like was kind of like intimidated by other hispanic people that i met in my area and just kind of didn't totally. know how to claim that part of myself i yeah it's so interesting you said intimidated because i i still feel this way actually that yeah yeah yeah. I'm like, I'm not, am I like Indian enough, Indian enough to be considered like in these Indian, like sort of deeply Indian communities? Probably mm. not. But I'm not really fully American American mm -hmm. to kind of run. So I'm, I'm, I still grapple with that. Like even today, I actually, um, you know, I joke that I'm like never going to be a cool Indian artist because <laughs> there's like a specific kind of I don't know what it is, like a prototype. That's so interesting. Can you attempt to describe it even? Yeah, it's like, it's, um, I think it's sort of like your kind of aesthetics and your way of sort of being and presenting, um, like how you wear your culture. And I never really felt part of those communities. And even now, like with my writing career, I, of course, I have lots of sort of supporters and advocates, but I wouldn't necessarily say that 
it, like Indian communities and Indian institutions are like, hey, we want to get behind this person because of right. my ethnicity. Mm. Um, and it, yeah, it's a little, it's a little odd, actually. So, yeah, it's, um, it's this, um, in Spanish, we say, we say, ni de aquí, ni de allá, not from here, not from there. It's like, okay. it's this, uh, this, uh, like, what is, you're a writer, am I using this word correctly? A liminal space? Is that a real thing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, that means like in, be, in between, right? Listen, I'm a, I'm a dumb comedian. I stand in basements and tell <laughs> jokes. But it's, uh, that, that's what I feel like it is. It's this like liminal space kind of between cultures where we ended up for, I'm lumping us together kind of maybe dumbly, yeah. but like we, I feel like we ended up forming our own like Frankenstein monster culture for ourselves. It's so true. I mean, I, you know, you do you identify as mixed race. Or... Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest with you, like from the beginning of doing the show to now, I've like, I feel like I've changed so many times, but I, 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 yes, I would identify as mixed race. And, you know, the reason I was asking is because that idea of like Frankenstein, I heard this great phrase, both not half. Mm. And I really love it because I always felt like I'm like, part of me is American and part of me is Indian. And so it always felt like two things pu pushing up against each other that didn't really get along. Yeah, like like tectonic plates or something. Exactly, exactly. And, and in the last couple of years, I'm like, oh, you're not half and half. You're, you, you actually are both of those things at the same time. And you're, whole, you're wholly in your American kind of culture because you grew up here and wholly in Indian culture and, and whatever that means. And it's sort of given me sort of freedom that I don't have to choose between, you know, different yeah. cultures. I, I can kind of blend it probably really yeah. awkwardly, but you know. So, yeah, no, I, I yeah. totally, and I think that's such a, it's such a better way to frame it for yourself in your head. Cause I know, I, I know I grew up and, kind of have lived up until maybe a year ago with the idea that I have to choose between them. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, do you, I mean, it, I don't know if you find this, but in situations where I'm with Indian people mm -hmm. and it's only Indian people. Mother's Day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. I feel, if it's the right group of people, I feel very much like familiar at home. It's my family. But if for some reason there isn't a connection, isn't a connection, and there's a bunch of Indian people, I feel very, very isolated. Like it's a really strong feeling. I'm like, well, why don't we connect? Because we are from the same culture. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Like with the right with the right group of Latinos who I don't feel like are judging me for like not being Latino enough, like I feel great and I can vibe. I speak the language. I I I grew up in a lot of the same culture, depending on what country they're from, of course. But if there's if there's one person looking at me sideways, I immediately retreat. I know it's really it's 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 a really weird thing, and I I don't think it'll ever really fully go away. Yeah, no. Because we're also, I mean, I don't I don't know if it's this, but 
growing up and you know becoming an adult you're like you're told kind of well you're an individual and you you're part of this community and you're really different mm. because you're the person who necess who's like either the token brown person um or, or, or and 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 then as you sort of go on in life um you realize that other people have that experience too and when you're in a in, in a group where there's another person who's been a token and you've been mm. a token and you're like this is a really weird dynamic because i've been i've been tokenized and you've been tokenized but so we're we're in opposition but we actually are coming from a very similar place yeah um, you're like wait you also have felt like isolated and separated and yeah it's it's, it's very interesting yeah the sometimes the the grossest things can be uniters i guess it's true it's true <laughs> you're like yeah it's like you're you're kind of like you're a culture of one and i'm a culture of one but we're from the same culture so we're gonna we're, and people will say I, I don't know if this happens to you but people will say to me oh you have to meet so and so they're an indian painter or they're mm -hmm. an indian and then i'm like will i have anything in common with this person whatsoever yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, i totally <laughs> I completely what? feel you. I completely feel you. I get, and I, I, I get that it's a nice gesture and I genuinely do want to meet and befriend more Peruvians, but I, sometimes I just want to be like, you know, there are like assholes who are Peruvian, right? Like I might not like this person. <laughs> they might be like a total dick. Like, can you tell me more than exactly. they're just Peruvian? It's super awkward. It's like you're being set up on like a, like a weird date with like somebody. It totally feels like that. It totally feels like it's that. like oh you're you're totally gonna be into each other like you know she grew up this way or he grew up that way and she also has like a mom who does this and I'm and then we meet and we're like really nothing to say to each other because we're totally different people we have totally different yeah I facts. feel like I feel like kids I feel like gay kids who grew up in small towns where there was only one other gay kid could probably relate to this because people are like oh my god uh, danny you should talk to danny like you two <laughs> would really you two would really get along exactly exactly yeah it's a weird it's it's, it's a strange it's a really strange time, especially now i think when you know you, you like become totally hyper aware of the fact that you have all these multiple identities that are blending but you don't spend your day or at least i don't spend my day thinking like I'm an Indian person walking down the yeah. street like I'm just walking down the street trying to not sweat under my mask yes like getting yes, through yes, the yes. day <laughs> so. wear masks everybody wear masks please wear masks very important yes <laughs> for the for the love of God so were you so you you mentioned that your parents were they cultivated a uh, arts interest pretty early on like what did that entail was it music was it always writing what was the deal with that it's, you know, it's, I, I, like, sort of both. So my dad was, uh, is, and was really into music. Mm -hmm. And so he introduced me to tons of music, like jazz, blues, um, you know, all like great, you know, Led Zeppelin. He's like, mm. you know, he really uh, introduced me to that kind of world and made me interested in music. My mom is an avid reader of fiction they're both like culture consumers mm -hmm. and so they just were constantly you know I always saw her reading he was always playing music and that sort of combined created this environment where I was like oh okay this is yeah. this is what we do yeah. and also they're you know big travelers so we we traveled all over the world from a very young age um adventurers trying new foods so it was always about kind of sounds anything. like they just really had like a curiosity to them like a curious yeah. spirit 
Well, they, you know, it, like if I think about their story, I mean, they they came to the states for the first time in their twenties um, for their their masters. They they didn't end up staying. They went back to India, had me, and then decided to come back again. And that takes like this sort of tenacity and like interest. You know, they could have had a really comfortable life in India, you know, yeah. with their family, but they chose to move, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away. And I think they they held on to that. So they they definitely are like the explorers. I, I just got like a drop of that. You know? Yeah. Have you, I wonder if you've had, cause I, I kind of have had this experience with my mom. Cause she also, I feel like has a similar kind of spirit. Like she, she's traveled a bunch. She, since I was a child, like any decision, any summer where I had free time or when I was deciding on like where to go to college, she'd be like, you should leave the country. You should go somewhere else. You need to go to another country and live there for a while. Like even now she's like, whenever you can just go live somewhere else. Like were your parents like that at all? They, you know, I don't know if they were like, go sort of live somewhere else as much as they were always like, you know, just take, you know, take advantage of all the kind of cultural opportunities that you have, uh, you know, work, work ethic was like a really big part of it. So just like nose to the grindstone, you, 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 you have a lot of, you know, show up, do the work. Um, But also that sort of, uh, they didn't dampen kind of self-expression that I had. So I was really, I made like very, very bad fashion decisions from like, (laughs) Well, like still name them, name them. <laughs> well, I'm gonna age myself, but having um, like there were these pants called skids, okay. that they were like checked pants with drawstrings. So I would wear okay. those with okay. my dad's like stripy shirt and no socks and Doc Martens, like cool, you know, cool, cool, playing cool. with fashion, weird you know, weird stuff. They were. They, what I really appreciate about it is that they were really advanced in their kind of acceptance of my self-expression. Like I wore, a, I wanted to wear a three-piece suit to my birthday when I was a kid. Wow. Because I, you know, really loved my grandfather who's now passed away um, mm. and I wanted to look like him. So they got this suit made that was That's like a friend. So, they got it made? Yeah. How they old were you? Uh, I think it might have been four or five. Oh, that's um, the cutest thing I've ever heard in my and entire life. Yeah. But the reason <laughs> I mention it is because it's sort of indicative of who they were, you know, considering that they came from a pretty conservative country. Yeah. And yeah. with gender, you know, the, even with that, they were like, it wasn't a big deal. It's like, she wants to wear a suit, she wears a suit. She wants Let to wear a dress, she wears a dress. Like, it doesn't matter. So. Yeah. I feel lucky. Um, wow, big ups to your parents. Your parents sound like cool ass people. They are cool ass people. They are cool ass people. And they they wouldn't, it's interesting because they wouldn't think of themselves as sort of pioneers. Because mm. they were like, we did the practical thing, like new opportunities, um, work and education. But I was like, you went from Bombay, super cosmopolitan. Yeah. The middle of nowhere in yeah. America. Yeah, that's a dis- that's a dimension of it I didn't even think about. Yeah, like they they went to a place where they knew like one family, mm. basically they didn't know anything else, and they created this like life for for me and my brother, with like not a lot of guidance and um, it's wild. It's so it's wild. wild, yeah. And so whenever I think of like oh I have to make decisions or do something, I'm like well, yep really not what they did. (laughs) Well, I really 
shouldn't complain at all, but I'm going to. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah. So had, you, had you already started writing? How did writing sort of enter the picture? When Were you always a writer? Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. So I started writing in um, journals at about age eight. Okay. Um, Fiction? I was writing, uh, like, just, you know, your diary. <laughs> <laughs> got it, got it. Um, yes, I, yes, you I, said in journals, day, and I did not listen. Okay. <laughs> not academic journals, but uh, <laughs> journals with little keys. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh my God, I remember those. I remember trying to break into my sister's diaries that had keys on them. Right, little key, and you could easily break, you could just like snap it off, but you yeah, just thought. Of course, really but I was, I was literally four years old, so I like didn't know how to do it. You were like, how do I work? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I write in a journal every day. I've been writing in a journal every day since then. Wow. So, um, wow. even if it's like one line, it's just, it's like a way of making things like really concrete and real and capturing yeah. observations. And, um, so I started doing that and then I, um, I actually started writing creative nonfiction, like essays, uh, short stories, like prose has always been like my thing until really recently, until about four or five years ago. Mm. Um, and when I got into high school, uh, I was sort of told by this, you know, really wonderful teacher that I might want to explore writing as more than just journaling, basically. <laughs> um, but it took me a very long time to kind of come out of the closet as a writer. Like it, it really, it always was a very private thing and, and, yeah. um, until about maybe six or seven years ago. Mm. So I, it, I'm a definitely a late bloomer with like sharing my writing. Um, I, I, listen, I'm very happy I'm having this conversation with you because I, I really only started seriously writing things, all fiction. I'm not, <laughs> I can't handle, I am not <laughs> good enough of a researcher to write nonfiction, but um, uh, I've only been writing for a few years. So, it, so I'm definitely still in that phase of like, I don't want to, unless I'm actually making the thing myself, I don't want to share my shit with anyone yet. <laughs> hard right it's so yeah. hard yeah it, you know it when people when people talk about writing it's like I'm like it is there are so many things I want to do other than write like I have like a million distractions that I can mm -hmm. um although the pandemic is helping the pandemic is sort of making it making the flow happen which is awesome really oh that's a blessing that's beautiful yeah, it really is it is. It's, it's sort of feeling a bit obsessive right now um, yeah. for me to, to keep writing and pushing the writing out. Yeah. Um, but it's like, if it doesn't, you know, I feel like I tell people that I'm a writer, but really I'm a rewriter. <laughs> That's like what I do all day. Like I'm like constantly, I'm looking at my writing and thinking, I gotta, I gotta fix that. That's not, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah, that's not where it needs to be. So anyway, yeah. but that's, that's, so my journey is really through prose. That's, Prose and I studied uh, literature in undergrad and literature in grad school. Um, Got it. And did you have a did you have a focus in terms of subject matter? Did you have a focus, or were you sort of pulling from a bunch of different places? No, I did actually. I my focus was in uh, modernism. Okay, what does that mean? I'm I'm a dumb comedian. <laughs> no, you're not a dumb comedian. You're you're a, a, a smart, observant person. And. Okay. Uh, I just, I was aggressively uncommitted to school at all levels. So any, any academic terminology I'm going to have a hard time with. So it's, it's just, be, it's basically writing that sort of started emerging around 1890. Okay. 
and then kind of continued up in like sort of through the wars um, in the 40s. And so it's, you know, Wolf, Joyce, Hemingway, Ezra Pound, okay. uh, Fitzgerald, that whole world. And I, Got it. I focused on Joyce uh, in undergrad and Joyce and Hemingway in grad school. Mm. Um, it's, you know, it's interesting because I, someone asked me like, you know, would, would you have considered like post-colonial literature or anything like that? But I was really obsessed with classic work or what was considered like Western classic work. And I think, mm. um, I don't regret studying that really deeply, but I am sort of ashamed that I, I don't have enough deep knowledge of sort of Indian, that came much later in life. Yeah. Reading Indian literature, which is obviously old and ancient and has tons of incredible literature as well. Yeah. So, um, and, but what was interesting about the modernists to me is that their whole thing was institutions are kind of crumbling around us and we need to kind of create and reform the world through our writing. So they- Sheesh, if there were ever a more relatable idea. <laughs> right, and as an, you know, as an immigrant, um, that was really appealing to me. I mean, not on a conscious level, but I'm sure that's what drove me to it because these were people who were like breaking barriers, you know, playing with gender, playing with form, um, mixing. And it was also a group of people that, you know, were trying to make sense of, um, you know, their environment in, in a really new way. I mean, it was really hard to, like grad school almost took me out. That was <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. think I where, could ever. Where did you Where did you go to grad school? Uh, I went to Cambridge in uh, the UK. Okay. <laughs> for all for for all of my mom's friends, I just did an embarrassing little dance in reaction to that information. And I'm brown, but I'm blushing because there's no way I'm saying that without sounding like. But um, uh, yeah, I've always wondered that because I I also I know people who who and I'm doing this in air quotes. Uh, went to school in New Haven, you know what oh, I mean? Right. Like when people, I do feel a little bad because I feel like people who go to these elite schools catch so much shit for it. That's genuinely so cool. That's genuinely awesome. And I want to talk about like, had you ever been to the UK before that? Like, what was in terms of change of culture? Like, what was that like to go to school there? Oh yeah. So well, I went to I went to undergrad in the states. I went to mm -hmm. Cornell and I had a really okay. great experience there. Um, you know, studying English. I started as like pre-med because I'm Indian and um, you have to <laughs> do that. And it's then I was the like, law. it's the law. Right. It's the law. <laughs> and then I remember going home and saying to my parents, you know, I, I really don't think I would be a very good doctor. I really want to study writing and literature. And they were like, how will you live? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then, you know, supported that decision. I had a great experience there. And then I moved to New York City. I, I actually, um, didn't mention that I, I have a, a job in the corporate world as well, um, which is in advertising. Got it. And uh, I worked in advertising for a few years and I was really feeling like this draw to complete, to kind of return to that world of kind of reading and writing in a, mm -hmm. a meaningful way. Um, I tried to do it sort of like through theater a little bit, but I didn't really find any traction. So I thought, let me go to the, the motherland of um, this type of Western modernism, which was England, and I applied to, to Cambridge. And I totally underestimated what a big decision that was in the shift. Yeah, yeah, she wiped me out. 
And I mean, up until then, it's, I know you mentioned you had sort of dabbled in theater, but up until then, was it still in like narrative fiction, like yeah. novels? Like, what are we talking here? Yeah, like um, uh, sh short stories for like, on, like zines. <laughs> zines! Zines are still around. There are still like- They're back, in, right. On, <laughs> ma online like socialist zines that my friends exactly. send me all the time. <laughs> Pretty much. They're and all I, socialist, yeah. Yes, yes. I feel like <laughs> zines are exclusively a, I live in Crown Heights and have a Mohawk type literature. I know, talk about exclusionary, yeah. but it's- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I was still in that world, you know, I, I, I was like, do I want to, you know, do I want to be a novelist? But I never really, it's, it's weird, even though I was getting great feedback on my writing, I just never assumed that writing identity until I moved to England. Um, and I met a, um, a now friend of mine, and she, she and I were sort of talking about, she was coaching me. And um, she said, you know, you know, you, you, you are a writer, you are an artist, and no one had ever used those words. And I know it sounds super cheesy, um, and I'm sure your mom's friends would think I'm super, super cheesy saying this, but it really changed my life, that validation of like- Yeah, no, not cheesy at all. I had a similar, I, it took me until I think five years ago to actually say out loud to people that I didn't know that I'm an actor. Like when they ask me what I do, I say right. like, oh, I'm an, it took me forever just to be able to say that out loud. And I think it takes the right person at the right time to give you that like nugget of validation to like push you there. Right, because I don't know if you've felt this when you sort of acknowledge who you are and like in, in, in your heart, but the, the people I think of artists are like these amazing, you know, like, Jhumpa Lahiri, Salman Rushdie, um, mm. Anita Desai, Arundhati Roy, all these like uh, amazing Indian um, authors. I'm like, I, I can't use a label that I use for those people because they're my heroes and they wrote things right. in my life and it's too far away right. yeah. for me to do that. Um, and then now I feel like, not, I mean, they're peerless in their work, but I actually feel like I'm part of this extended community of diaspora or immigrant writers, which yeah. I would have never admitted because it sounds like super pretentious. Totally, to like, yeah. You know. Yeah, so that's, yeah. And Cambridge helped me with that too. Totally. So. There's, well, given that, I wonder if you have a take on this take, like we're on a sports talk radio show. Uh, uh, given that there's like such a big Indian immigrant population in the UK, uh, like do you, have you noticed any differences between uh, Indian immigrants who grew up here and Indian immigrants who grew up in the UK? I, I mean, so interesting, like totally. I, the Indian immigrant population in the UK has been there a lot longer. So there's much more sort of a nuanced relationship between um, England and that population. Like mm. not only in sort of English people's understanding of India because it was a you know former colony, but also in stuff like Indian food being mm. so like commonly eaten and like just right. in shows with Indian castes and you know I had never experienced anything like that before, so it was very different. And actually, my um, I lived there for many years in England, even after grad school. And what was interesting is that my label there was American. Like mm. My Indianness was sort of like secondary, but I was like the boorish yeah. 
loud, you know, American person trying to make my way through England. Um, yeah, what a switch from being like the only brown girl in your hometown to now being <laughs> the American girl. The American. And I actually enjoyed it. It made me, it made me feel like I had an excuse to sort of say whatever I wanted. Um, yeah. That's very I empowering, like, I imagine. Yeah, it was empowering. And, and it was li living in another country. It just, it, just reorient everything about you, like all your assumptions about the world, everything. So yeah. it was, it wasn't an easy experience, but it was a, it was a really good one. Yeah. And then you came straight back to New York. And then after, well, I did grad school and then I was working and living there and I came back to New York um, because I just miss my family and just miss mm. sort of life here. So, um, but I love it. London, I, I go, uh, at least once a year. Um, it's just a really amazing place. I, I miss being close to the rest of the world mm. living there. Yeah. So, and it's funny because I, you know, I suppose New York is cosmopolitan, but then when you go to London where it really is a crossroads of so many different cultures, like nothing like yeah. that. So, totally. Yeah. And, and so when did actually, when did writing theater actually solidify as a part of your writing life? So it actually not that long ago, I, now it's been six years, but um, I was, I've always been a huge theater fan, an audience member, read all the plays, like totally sat in the front row, got spit on, like loved it, wanted more. And then never thought that I would write for the theater. Uh, and then a friend of mine was like, hey, this Labyrinth um, Theater Company. Where, mm, shout out Labyrinth Theater Company. Shout out to them. You know, I was always a mega fan. Um, and they're like, they have this intensive that you can apply for. So I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm not an actor, I'm a writer. Like, is it? And I got accepted to it. And I went away for a week in Connecticut with this group of people that I'm, I didn't know anyone. Um, and it 100% it changed my life. That's like, so cool. Seven days. I mean, it's, every just just the group of people the environment that it was in was very it was really intense <laughs> um yeah i can imagine especially for the writers because i have a couple of friends one of whom was on this podcast a while ago who have been actors at this retreat and that sounds stressful enough but to be a writer at this retreat sounds like okay. insanity it was insanity and i think what i realized then is i wanted to get involved in the theater in a more meaningful way but like as i've been pushing away my writing my whole life what happened afterwards is for a little while i was like helping other people kind of achieve their theater dreams mm. i was like oh i'll help you like i'll dramaturg for you or i'll you know show up and do something and then i was like i'm gonna write a play mm. so i wrote a play i put it up at the frigid festival i got a ton of help it went really well it won a couple of awards in the festival which was hey. really great um, which is, you know, it's it's like it, you have to kind of start somewhere and it was a great, it's a frigid festival. So everyone should support the Crane Theater because it really, that was yes. another life-changing experience. Um, Absolutely. I've, I've performed there. there. It's a great space. It's a great space. Um, and, uh, you know, they're weathering a storm right now. So shout mm. out, shout out to them. But yeah, um, yeah. so that's, that's how I got sort of entrenched. It was really the intensive. And you, you sort of stuck and, around the labyrinth community? Yeah, I actually, um, 
a few of those people and I, we started collaborating. I started doing these like little, I would pick a theme, for example, on record store day, and I would get 10 writers to write like 10 minute plays and put up these little showcases. Nice. And then um, a couple of years ago, I, um, I wrote something that I thought was gonna be an article, uh, but ended up being the basis of a solo show. Ooh. And then that solo show, I put it up at the Gotham Storytelling Festival, went extremely well. Uh, Patrick Lillis directed it. Who's Shout out to Patrick Lillis. Yes, uh, <laughs> amazing director and, and really good at sort of like developing um, people who are mer kind of emerging um, in particular. Yeah, and I've had the pleasure of both being directed by him and watching him coach writers by being a reader in his playwriting classes. He's, a, he's great he's at what he does. Truly. He really so. is. He really is. And uh, so then that turned into, uh, I made a connection with Luna, which is the theater um, in New Jersey. I did a reading there and then they produced the show, which went up uh, earlier this year. So I did a run of my solo show. Amazing. What's the, what's the name of the show? American Rookie. American Rookie? Yes. Amazing. Is it, <laughs> is it public? Can people read it? Is it published? It's not published. Um, okay. I'm, I'm thinking about what, what happens next with it. It's, but it was kind of the earlier questions that you were asking. It's, it's an autobiographical monologue, basically. Oh, got it. Wow. And did, so, did you perform it or did somebody else perform it? <laughs> I hey. did perform it, but I know was that your, what, Had you performed before? Not like that. I mean, like, that's crazy. Second, that's amazing. Oh, that is the that is the artistic equivalent of zero to a hundred real quick. That is oh my crazy. god! Yeah, no training wheels. We're <laughs> it's in. crazy to go from like yeah. almost zero acting experience to a solo show is nuts. I respect the hell out of that. That's amazing. Thank you, thank you. So so that was that was a new community, and then I was I was a playwright in residence at Guild Hall, which is out in East Hampton, back in November. Mm. I mm. uh, I was invited to share a different play of mine at the Barn series with Lab in January. So really, in the lack like let's last go, Dipti, let's go. <laughs> I know. I'm like I'm like writing like I'm gonna you know running out of time or something. It's just it's it's been really amazing actually recently. I've gotten so much like I have so many advocates and su supporters. It's it's it makes me like tear up. Actually, it's really amazing. So that's so beautiful. What is there like? Is it, oh, I got to keep an eye on the time. Is there, uh, I don't really know how to formulate this question in a coherent way. <laughs> What's, a, what, what type of, I guess, character, or like what type of stories are, are interesting to you in terms of the stories that are dramatized on stage as opposed to something that you're writing in a short story or an essay or something? Like what sorts of things do you enjoy seeing on stage or writing for the stage? If there's a, a theme that sort of runs through your your stuff. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I I really like very very small, intimate stories, and mm. and moments, um, especially you know in relationships or friendships. Um, I'm not you know a lot of people are like you should write a play about like Indian independence or like this epic thing with like a sixteen person cast, but I'm like. Yeah two-handers, you know, gods of carnage, like an incident tiny, you know, getting, yeah. um, I, I like, I like, and especially, you know, I want to see 
a diverse group of people who don't get to tell the sort of those intimate stories tell them. So, you know, I grew up in, in an environment that we were talking about and I, I have never seen that environment on a stage, hmm. like the kind of dynamics, like, you know, listening to jazz with my dad in the car. Like I've never seen an Indian person yeah. listen to like, you know, it's like there are these nuanced things or like, I love country music. So I, I want to, I want, Indian actors to kind of have the, those sort of human experiences that are right. that rather right. than big themes, I suppose, of um, diaspora immigrant and all that stuff is there, but I'm not as interested in that as I am in kind of like the human. Yeah, because that'll always be there in as a backdrop, kind of. <laughs> this is gonna sound really pretty. The human condition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like right now I'm writing these stories with, um, about like experiences in the pandemic and they're fictional. And I've, I've asked, um, like friends who are actors to record them and then I'm posting them on SoundCloud. And you, so what I do is I usually get like really fixated. I'm like, Oh, I want this actor to tell this story. So I really imagine what it would be like if they were working on it and I get inspired by their person in put yeah. that into the character. And then I ask oh, that's them so and they're cool. like, this feels like me. And I'm like, Oh, it kind of is you. I'm glad you're saying yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Is this a, have, has, have you started putting this up already? Yeah, they're 15 up already. So. Okay. So where can people find them? What's the name? Of, let's plug the shit out of this. Okay. Oh, thank you. They're, well, it's called a uh, Quarren theater and it's uh, on SoundCloud and, um, but you can, I post a lot about it on my um, Instagram handle, which is super dipty rights. Okay, I love that. That's, <laughs> that's a, such a cool. So they're 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 kind of like radio plays. Yeah, yeah, they're really they're between two to six minutes long. Amazing. Um, they're most mostly monologues, but now there's a new one that's a two-hander where I had this wonderful, talented uh, a couple basically live together, of course, record together. So that it's it's been fun. I think that's such a cool use of the current moment not that i am against and i'm so sorry to any of my theater friends who are listening to this who have put up zoom readings of their whatever i'm not saying anything necessarily bad about that but i kind of am saying something bad <laughs> i just feel like what you're doing is such a is such a more creative use of uh of what's going on right now in terms of in terms of theater because it's really hard to you're never going to bring the same immediacy that you would if everybody's in the room. Um, but okay. I think what you're doing is fair. I love the intimacy of that. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's fun. And I think we, and I, I'll include myself in this, but like we put a lot of pressure on, our, pressure on ourselves to kind of follow a process or get it right or kind of think about what that end product is all the time. And I think that's something that the pandemic has reminded me of is that we, we're figuring it out so it's okay to kind of experiment and get it right sometimes and get it wrong mostly and have some people because that's squirreled away by yourself so that's what live theater i think is really good at doing is making things really present that's what i'm i'm working on is you know how do you make it feel alive yeah. Um, for people. Oh, so well put. 
So well put. Legitimately, I needed to hear this because of I've had a horrible experience attempting to finish this short film that I've been writing for the last couple of weeks. So this is legitimately helping me as a human. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, if you're writing this and you, it's it's like, because it, we're, we're taught, right? To like create a product that can be sell, sold and marketed. But yeah. if that's- Especially growing mind, up, especially growing up in America, especially. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's not great. I mean, I wouldn't, I, you know, the stories on, on SoundCloud are really different from like a play that I've kind of killed myself over every word, but they, the stories matter to me. I'm writing them quick. I'm getting input. I'm, you know, it's like, let's go. That's, yeah. that's kind of the feeling I have right now. And I'm encouraging other writers. And I'm like, just, I want to see your stuff. Just show, that doesn't mean it should be like under rehearsed and like poor quality. It just means, right. you know, just, create the conditions where you can share that, you know. Mm. Um, but I guess comedy is sort of like that too, right? It's like you're you're reacting with a live audience usually, right? So Yeah, I um, mean I it's it's crack cocaine. It's direct feedback. I mean it's one thing to it's one thing to be doing oh, a play. Uh, and I love acting as well, but like doing a play and having that direct feedback from the audience is different from being yourself on stage and try, desperately trying to make people like you. I don't know. I mean, I, I really admire, um, especially stand-up comedians, but just any kind of comedy writing that is like, to me, it's like, you, you have to go through the dark stuff to get to comedy, I think. It's just mm. so brilliant. I think it's amazing that you're doing, you're, you're working on that as well as everything else you're doing. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're, so we're winding down. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you'd, that you'd like to get in here? I don't, I mean, it's been, it went by so fast. I can't believe we're like, approaching the hour already. How crazy. Yeah. Um, no, I, not really. I mean, I guess, you know, I, uh, in the spirit of sort of trying things out, I guess the only thing that's new that I'm working on um, in addition to developing plays is I'm writing a film. Mm. And uh, I'm trying to do a different approach with it. So instead of going away and like writing a script, I'm writing it longhand like prose. And then I have a handful of actors that I'm gonna bring into the process of developing it. Um, and it could go horribly wrong but I actually all signs indicate that it's gonna actually help me and help me become a better writer that's so such a cool we shall see I love that you're inspiring me to experiment with stuff I think that's super cool yes. experimenting is good I mean it's supposed to be fun right it's what like it's supposed to get us closer to some to to feelings and people and yeah and at the end of the day I try to tell myself because I agree with I think you said it like five minutes ago or so um there's this pressure while you're in process, you're constantly thinking about the product, the product, the product, how am I, how is this going to get made? Who is going to, who, how can I get an important person to like, blah, 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 blah. But I try to remind myself at the end of the day, what any of us are doing, whether you're a comedian or a writer or an actor or whatever, it's all the same creative impulse, which is there wasn't anything here. And then I made a thing and I want to show it to my friends. And that should be the entire impulse. Yeah. Exactly. That should be the and and the litmus test is does it make does it make me feel something? Yeah. And if if it makes me feel something, I've got a seed of something, and then all the other stuff like structure that that will come. But it's like, am I moved by it? Am I motivated by it? Do I think it's funny? Do my friends think it's funny? 
And does it feel good to get it out? Yeah. That's like the other thing, like, cause it's so painful to write. So when you produce something and you're, it's out in the world in whatever form it is, you're like, I made that thing. That's amazing. Cause then you make yeah. that thing and you make something else that's better. So. I love that for so for anybody who's any of my mom's friends who's listening to this and you're like, oh, I started that comic book I was trying to write uh, a year ago and I I never uh, I never finished it. Just like go do it, try it, experiment. Exactly. That's like yeah, that is the motto. That's the motto of my life. Just try it. What's the worst that can happen? You can just be totally humiliated. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. You could be a disappointment to all of your family and friends and live in disgrace for the rest of your life. It's not that bad. It's not that as long as your immigrant mother is 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 always disappointed in you, you nothing will match that. So you can survive. <laughs> that's that's right. It's true. It's so, true. Nobody's I mean, gonna, just nobody's gonna throw a chancleta at you because your script was bad. No, exactly. No one's gonna have that sort of stony face mom look that you've disappointed her. Like you can get a bad review, someone can say you're really terrible, but that's uh-huh. that's the only thing that will, that should wither you is, is the look of a mother. That's the point. It's so, yeah. what an amazing note to end this on. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Tell 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 the audience your Instagram handle one more time so they can find you. Oh sure, it's super dipty writes. Amazing. Please follow dipty. Check out the SoundCloud series, which is called Corn Theater. Quarren Theater. Tipsy, thank you so much for being here. This was so great. It was so fun. Thank you so much. Of course. Looking forward to to hearing more. (laughs) To hearing any. (laughs) I'm looking forward to actually listening. (laughs) I just, I I hope you, no, I'm just, I'm just giving you shit. (laughs) I don't, it's totally fine. (laughs) Uh, It was meant to be like a history podcast. I think we've totally blown it. No, I think we did great. I think we did no. great. No? Okay, good. It would be really funny if you're like, well, it was actually meant to be about food or like something totally different. Like, oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. We didn't talk about like how rice is different in Peru than in India. That was supposed to be the whole thing. That's part two. <laughs> part two. There will definitely be a part two. Dipti, thank you so Yay. much. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. And that's it for this week's episode of La Mescla. Thank you so much to Dipti Brahmankar for coming in. And by coming in, I mean joining a Zoom call, which I'm on record in every one of these outros uh, by saying I hate you, Zoom. I hate you so much. I hate that you're like a necessity for what I do now. But I still use you. Uh, thank you to uh, to Carly Hogendyke and Authentic Talent Literary Management uh, for hooking me up. Uh, thank you to everybody listening. Please remember to like, rate, review, and subscribe. All that shit. Make sure to follow Dipti's stuff. Uh, read her plays when they're available. Listen to the SoundCloud project. Uh, part of part of the reason this show exists is so that you, my mom's friend, who is listening to this, can now go and support the cool-ass immigrant artists that we have on the show. So go do that, because now is the best time to be supporting this type of shit. Seriously, like, with all this shit going on. Wow, these outros get more unhinged with every week. So I'm going to stop. Goodbye, everybody. I will be back next week with another episode of La Mezcla. Uh, Bye.
Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save 